Hey there, welcome to Beyond the Bikini podcast, where you can enhance your body and your mind. My name is Nicole Ferrier, exercise science grad, certified personal trainer, bikini competitor, and coach. On this podcast, you will learn more about my experience in the fitness industry, competing in bikini competitions, mental health, and how to gain more success in your own life in your fitness journey. So sit back, relax, or power through this cardio session and enjoy. I am so excited for today's guest, and we have Jordan Saya on Beyond Bikini Radio. Now, I interviewed Jordan, and we chatted all things mental health and the fitness space, binge eating, and just our past with athletics and how that has affected our future. We talked a lot on mindset and having confidence and calling yourself on your own shit. Jordan is an amazing influencer, not only on Instagram, but he has had a huge impact in the fitness industry, and he was also a personal trainer for Gary Vee. So I hope you guys love this episode just as much as I do, and feel free to share it. Following you for a while, and all of my clients are constantly like reposting you and chatting about you, and I'm like, I really need to get him on my podcast because I feel like our mentality on fitness is so similar like too often people are neglecting the mental side of fitness and it's just not okay yeah no I very much agree so I'm super excited that I appreciate you having me on yeah so Jordan um I would love for you to chat more on like what got you into fitness in the first place yeah so I uh I got into fitness from wrestling I started I started uh wrestling when I was eight years old and basically i um i made varsity as a freshman in high school so i was already wrestling for like five years or so by the time i got to high school and then i beat a junior out for the varsity spot and i had to cut a lot of weight so i was cutting from 112 pounds to 103 pounds every week sometimes like two or three times a week and um basically at that point in my life you know i was I was, a, I was a kid. I was 13, 14 years old, and I was going up against 16, 17, 18-year-olds. So endurance-wise, I was I was very good, and technique-wise, I was a very good wrestler already. But uh, strength-wise, going up against kids significantly older than me, I didn't have it. So mm-hmm. I wanted to figure out how I could get stronger while I was also losing weight. And so I ended up applying for an internship at a gym near me. I was just like – I ended up writing them an email, and I was like, you know, I'll, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. Just – let me do whatever I can do in order to learn from you. And fortunately they not only took me under their wing and and really let me come in and and help them, but, and learn from them, but they were also a very science-based gym and a science-based community following some of the the leading minds of that time. And and so I really got inundated with a science-based strength training and nutrition mentality from the time I was 13, 14 years old. Yeah. I think it's so interesting too, with like wrestling, I still to this day see so many kids, cutting weight and like very body conscious. I was a gymnast growing up. So similar thing with, um, we never had to like cut weight specifically for an event, but coaches would always make comments. The uniforms are very, you know, form fitting. And it was something that we were all really aware of because if you gained weight, a coach would make a comment on it for sure. Yeah, no, I've, I've worked with a bunch of gymnasts. I have a, a bunch of, of clients who are gymnasts and I did gymnastics when I was younger. I think it's probably one of the best things that, you know, my mom was like, she was amazing, but she is amazing. One of the things she did is she put me in gymnastics as a kid and then in wrestling. And I think those are two of the most important sports 
that you could have anyone do, but especially young kids, just like in terms of just making them more athletic and, uh, and more aware of their body and developing strength. But I know also know for a fact, they're two of the most, the easiest sports for developing disordered eating habits. So very much understand that. Oh, for sure. So you developed your skills as a personal trainer. Um, what were some of the common like red flags you saw or like com- commonalities between your clients that they were struggling with? You know, I think, uh, one of the reasons that I ended up dropping out of exercise science in college is because by the time that I, by the time that I got to college, I'd already been coaching for about four years and I only entered in exercise science because that's what everyone did. That's what I was told. That's to what do. I did. <laughs> that's like, that's what, like, that's when you want to be a coach, you go in exercise science. That's like what you hear. That's, that's like what everyone tells you to do. But I think the one of the major benefits of coaching for four years by that point was I realized that it doesn't matter how meticulous your program is or how good your sets and reps are, or how great your technique is, or how wonderful your calories and protein are, or any of that. You could have the best program design in the world, but if people aren't following it, then it doesn't matter how good it is. And I think by the time I got to college and entered in exercise science, I realized didn't matter what the teachers were teaching me in regard to how, how to make the perfect program because clients weren't going to follow it. No matter, Mm -hmm. like you have to, you have to understand that the perfect program on paper means jack shit if no one's going to do anything about it. So that's when I switched to health and behavioral psychology, the health behavior sciences and understanding why people are making the decisions they're making, why they're making the choices they're making and, and essentially how to help people make the choices that not only they need to make, but also the choices they want to make, they're just having trouble making. Yeah. I, uh, so I got my undergrad in exercise science and I can relate to a lot of what you're saying there where I felt like I was sitting in class and like learning the science of it. And then when it comes to like real life application, I'm like, well, this is like fucking pointless. Like it doesn't matter. Um, my clients aren't going to follow this. And if anything, all this information is just going to go over their head. So for me as a coach, developing my skills, all, all of it was done through in-person training and just like self-education through like podcasts and reading and doing my own research. And I feel like there's so much information out there where you can develop your skills as a coach and you don't necessarily need a professor just teaching you the science. Like science is great, but if you can't apply it and if you can't convey your message over from like a person to person communication, like it's not going to get you anywhere. I couldn't agree more. I very, very, very much agree with that. Yeah. And so one thing I wanted to chat about too, in regards to like science is this experiment that you've done. And I'm sure you already know what I'm going to mention. Um, And it's in regards to fat loss. So, so many people are wanting to lose weight and they're nervous that you know, there's bad foods out there, or they need to avoid certain things, or that if they eat a certain food that magically, they won't be able to lose weight. And you did a Big Mac experiment. Yes. Tell us more. One Big Mac a day. (laughs) One Big Mac a day every day for 30 days. And, uh, you know, it was I didn't expect it to have the impact that it had. I, I was honestly very, very surprised. I almost didn't do it really. The only reason, so this is something I've wanted to do for a while for, for years, but I just never did it. And then, you know, I have an incredible videographer, uh, Rico Incarnati, who's with me. And, uh, I remember I told him I wanted to do this and we decided that we would do it when I got back from Israel, uh, this past September. 
and I got back and, and I was hoping he'd forgotten. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I remember he was like, all right, so, you know, we're starting, uh, on Monday or whatever. I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do it. And, uh, and so basically the whole point was that you can enjoy your favorite foods in moderation while not only not losing progress, but actually continuing to make progress. And, and the reality is there's so much food fear and food anxiety, and that will then result in binge eating and disordered eating. And there's so, there's so much misinformation in regard to what people can and can't or should and shouldn't eat. And I just wanted to show people, it's like, I'm not telling you to eat a Big Mac every day. I'm not telling you to eat Big Macs at all. All I'm telling you is that you can enjoy a slice of pizza at your daughter's birthday party. You can enjoy a slice of cake at your nephew's graduation ceremony. You can have a fucking ice cream cone if you just want a fucking ice cream cone without worrying about ruining all of your progress. Mm -hmm. And I think that was such an eye-opening experiment for so many people because I think you chose the Big Mac just because, you know, McDonald's has a bad stigma and um, the Big Mac does just because of the size compared to other burgers. But so many people put so much fear into a certain food and we're about to approach the holidays. And I can already tell that some of my clients are having a ton of anxiety around the, the day and just a couple dinners in general. And we put so much anxiety into this that mentally it's going to exhaust you and lead you to being in the kitchen at 1am and binge eating before you know it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's, it's one of the, it's one of the most interesting things. And, and I've gotten a bunch of feedback, especially recently with some of my more recent YouTube videos about tracking consistency as opposed to, as opposed to like using consistency as your measure of progress, as opposed to necessarily weight, not to that, not to say you can't track your weight, which I think that you actually should, but not to base your goals off of your weight, but to instead make, base your goals off of your level of consistency. And I think what usually happens is people feel like they go off track at one time, like one time they go off track, they, eat a food that they feel like they shouldn't have, or they ate more than they wanted to, and they feel guilty. And it's that guilt or that shame or that feeling of failure that then leads to a massive binge. When in reality, if, if you just enjoyed it and you just – in the same way that you know, like eating one salad isn't going to make you skinny, you also logically know eating one slice of pie isn't going to make you fat. It's like if you just enjoy the slice of pie rather than – restricting, 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 and then binging or having one bite of it and then feeling like you fucked up, then you'll be able to enjoy it in moderation in, in a very healthy, balanced way rather than either being all in or all out. Yeah. So that's a lot of like black and white mentality that so many people have. What are your tips to get someone out of that mentality? And I know that you provide so much content through not only your own podcast, but your YouTube channel and Instagram. But if you're to give a couple tips for someone who feels like they're always stuck in the cycle of black and white mentality, either they're on track or off track, what are some tips to get them out of that? Yeah, I mean, so I mean, number one is, it's the, the phrase that I just used, which has hit home with a lot of people, which is you, no one ever got skinny from eating one salad. No one ever got fat from having one slice of pizza. No one ever got jacked from crushing one workout and no one ever lost all their strength from missing one workout. And it applies for one workout, for one meal, for a week of workouts, a month of workouts. Progress comes from consistency over time, not from any single individual meal or workout or, or night of sleep, any of that. So what's interesting to me is, and, and I always use this example when I'm working with clients or, or speaking with people on social media, where it's like when 
a friend comes to you and says that they ate too much or they missed a workout, your first response is always like, you're fine. You're fine. Get back on track. You're good. Like if a friend came up to you and said that they felt really bad and guilty about having a slice of cake, you wouldn't say like, oh yeah, you really fucked that up. Like you should quit. Yeah. Like, you would never say that. But to yourself, it's almost the first place that you go where it's like, I really screwed up. I'm worried. I'm anxious. I'm binging. I ruined everything. It's like, why are you treating yourself so poorly? Like most people are treating themselves more, uh, more awfully than they would treat their worst enemy. And so I think it's very, a lot of people use the, oh, I'm an all or nothing person. I'm all in, I'm all out as a justification consciously or not to justify doing things that they wouldn't recommend anybody else do. When in reality, it's if you actually want to live a more balanced life in regard to your nutrition, in regard to your fitness, and that could be either getting to the gym several times a week from, from nothing, or it could mean there are also the people who go to the gym seven days a week and they get anxious and they have anxiety from the idea of missing one workout. It's like, what are you, that's not balanced. If you want to talk about having a balanced life and having a balanced relationship with food and fitness and exercise and all of that, then you really need to do your best to treat yourself like you're treating your best friend and not treating yourself like a special butterfly. Words of wisdom there. I think that also goes for like body image too. I get so many I work primarily with women, but so many women, the things they say about their bodies, like they, they make me uncomfortable because they're so negative and nasty. And just, I remind them, would you ever speak to your best friend that way? Would you ever speak to your daughter that way? And they're like, well, absolutely not. I would never say that. That's horrible. Then why are you justifying that it's okay to talk to yourself that way? You know, it's, it's very interesting. And I was actually just having this conversation recently, um, I was, I was doing a seminar in Canada and I was speaking with a couple other coaches and, and this was a question that came up to the effect of how do you handle that with clients? Like, how do you speak to clients? Like, what do you say to clients when they keep doing that? Um, like, how do you have that conversation? And I think one of the biggest mistakes that I made, and by the way, I work mostly with women as well, about 75%, 80% of my clients are women. The, I think one of the biggest mistakes that I made as a younger coach was, was coddling that type of uh conversation was was treating it as though like hey oh no basically being oh my god no no you're amazing Mm -hmm. like you look fantastic because i didn't want their feelings to be hurt and i didn't want them feeling that way but what i realized what was actually happening was a lot of times they'll say these things yes they might actually believe it but they'll say these things because they're looking for that response. They're looking for the response of, oh, my God, no, you look amazing. Oh, my God, no, you're great as you are. Oh my, And they're literally – they're trying to say things in a way to, to garner a response that will increase how they feel about themselves, which isn't in and of itself inherently a bad thing. But when you're their coach, your job isn't to make them feel good. Your job is to help them – your job is to help them – Gain perspective. Not even, not even gain perspective, but it's to help them become more confident without the the uh, the words or without the uh, someone else making them feel confident. Is helping them feel confident because they feel confident in themselves, and when they aren't feeling confident, is helping them feel like learn how to do that for themselves by themselves. Yeah. And I think it's really, really important. And so one of the things that I started to do as I got more experience as a coach and understanding behavior and psychology was when that happened is I was very quick and very swift to not tolerate that type of speak. And I, I wouldn't allow it. And I would very quickly say, like, listen, this is going to be a little bit of a tough love, but it's coming from a place of me caring about you is 
as long as we're working together, you are not allowed to talk about yourself in that way. And if you continue to do so, then what I'll do is I'll help you find another coach. But I will not allow the people that I care about in my life to speak about themselves in that way because it is completely inappropriate. I wouldn't allow you to talk to a friend that way. You're my friend, so don't you dare talk about yourself that way. And it's one of those things that when they quickly realize that I'm not going to all of a sudden offer up these compliments and feelings of coddling and, and, and holding their hand and instead I'm going to treat them like an adult and teach them how to treat themselves like an adult then they become more resilient and they take responsibility for themselves mm-hmm. it's almost like so similar conversation too I had one with my client and she's just she said something so nasty about herself and I said how would your husband feel if he heard you say that and she's like oh I never thought of that and it's like we forget to love ourselves unconditionally and we just look at ourselves as like a problem and that in itself is a problem. So I think um, that's really good to not only like build the confidence in your clients, but it's not you building it. It's helping your clients see that and build it themselves. I agree. And I think what's something important to remember about loving yourself unconditionally. I think a lot of people misconstrue that to mean that you should never feel badly about yourself. I think, part of loving yourself is recognizing that there are going to be times when you're not happy with what you've done, the choices you've made, like what you've chosen to do. I think that's part of loving yourself is being honest with yourself. Another part of loving yourself is not allowing your choice, the choices you've made to dictate other choices that you make to allow the feeling poorly about a decision you made to completely alter how you treat yourself and treat others. Mm -hmm. Loving yourself is being honest with yourself, treating yourself like an adult and being like, listen, I'm I'm a little bit disappointed that I made that choice. But if I'm really going to love myself now and be a good example for others and myself, then I'm not going to allow that to justify another poor action. I'm going to keep doing what I know is right and do what I know is going to help me become a better person because I love myself. Yeah, those are, that's like such good advice. Wow. Um, okay, so one other thing I want to talk about too is like with building confidence in your clients. I think a lot of times clients will lose motivation to execute their plan if they feel like they're not progressing fast enough. And what are some things that you think are considered wins that people overlook on a consistent basis? I think probably, uh, I mean, it's so funny. This is something, it's a, it's a wonderful question. I think one of the things that I'm best at is realizing that in any situation, there's always, you can always find a positive and you can always find a negative. Mm-hmm. It's like, no matter what the situation is, you can always choose what to see. And usually the pessimistic and negative side is the easier one to see especially when you're used to choosing that when it's a habit and it's a very hard habit to change like all habits. But I think most people tend to for themselves, see the negative side, see the pessimistic side. And most people for other people, especially for people either they're jealous of or for people uh, that like just their friends, they tend to see the positive side more easily than they do for themselves. So it could literally be any situation, but I mean, you could say like, let's say you step on the scale. And, uh, and the scale, scale goes down. Like most people are very quick to jump up and down and say like, Oh my God, like this is amazing. This is going great. And that's, that's fantastic. But what I would say is if you allow that to happen, if you allow yourself to celebrate the scale going down, 
then that inherently means that it's going to be bad when it goes up. Mm -hmm. So I'd be very quick to say, try and disassociate all emotion from the scale and just look at it as data. Not to say there will never be emotion, but to be very quick at recognizing that emotion and then trying to uh, dilute it as quickly as possible with more logic as opposed to emotion. That way, when the scale eventually goes up, you can, instead of having the, oh my God, negative response, you can look for the positive optimistic view and say, wow, the scale went up and I didn't have any emotion with it and I didn't let it get yeah. to me. And yeah. rather than the scale going up and being like, oh fuck, I messed up or this isn't working, what's going on, da, 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 choosing to say, wow, like the scale went up and rather than looking at the negative side of, oh, something must've went wrong, look at your reaction, look at your emotional response and look at the positive side of it. And you can look at that in any situation. It's like, if you have a slice of pizza, cool. Wow, I allowed myself to have a slice of pizza and I stopped at one or I stopped at two or I didn't use that justification to then go off track for another week. Or you could go on vacation and you could be like, oh my God, I went on vacation and I actually enjoyed the vacation food without feeling guilty, without worrying about what was going to happen when I got back and seeing the scale up several pounds. Or it's like, with this, the same situation. Oh my God, I went on vacation and I didn't use vacation as a justification to binge the entire time just because I could. Like no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you're doing, there's always an opportunity to find the positive and optimistic side. Yeah. So I just came off of like um, a bikini prep and I know you're not the biggest fan of bodybuilding competitions and I have, I feel like I'm on a double-edged sword of it sometimes, but I, this time, told myself there's really no point in setting expectations on the scale because you both know like both you and I know you have to gain weight after a competition because you're too like lean it's not healthy um and for me I was really proud of myself to like gain weight and be okay with it and I think a lot of times like we don't realize little wins like that are they're super big and gaining weight isn't always a bad thing either like especially for women out there who want to gain muscle sometimes you're gaining some weight because you're just a smaller frame and that's okay. Yeah. Well, for, and first of all, I'm not really inherently against anything unless we're, like, we're talking about like murdering people. I'm definitely inherently yeah. against that. But like, <laughs> but in terms of like bodybuilding and physique, I'm not inherently against it. I'm mainly just very pragmatic when it comes to, if we look at the number of people who do it and the number of people who are actually negatively affected by it, but then again, I'm also on the other side of it where I'm like, you know what, maybe going through those negative things is actually better long term because then they can learn from it, they can get better and then help other people prevent it. So, you know, there's a lot of positive to it. And I think a lot of people build their passion for fitness from it. And so I think that that small win that you had is actually really a mountain of a win. It's, it's not a small win at all. It's like a huge, huge, huge win. Yeah. I think it's incredible. And, um, and I think in terms of weight gain, like people are, are so quick. It's so funny. Like as soon as, as soon as like the slightest bit of weight comes on, it's like immediately, oh my God, I'm gaining fat. It's like, what are you talking about? Like you, are you out of your mind? You know, if you just all of a sudden lose like overnight a pound or whatever, like, you know, it's just not all fat. So why when you gain 0.2 ounces, all of a sudden it's fat. Not to mention one thing I get from women a lot, a lot, a lot. It's like, well, I weighed 107 pounds in high school. So I want to get back to that. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking you're about? You're a grown adult what? now. You're an adult. Like, not least. I'm like, all right. And how many years have you been lifting weights? They're like, oh, I've been lifting weights now for two years. I'm like, okay, so what happens when you lift weights? And they're always like, okay, well, yeah, I know I get bigger muscles, but I feel like I haven't gotten that much bigger. I'm like, what happens to your bone 
when you lift weights. They're like, I don't know. I'm like, you get not only like, what does stronger bones mean? Like you literally build bone. Mm -hmm. You literally build bone. Like one of the funniest things that's ever happened is like, I gained about four pounds of bone throughout my entire college lifting. Just like added four through uh, through um, the body composition monitoring in the exercise science lab. That fascinates me. I wonder if my bones have grown because I used to get fractures all the time when I didn't lift. Guaranteed. Yeah. No, I never just from that. it was just from powerlifting. That's crazy. It's crazy. Is if people don't realize how much, literally, how much bone you can add, and like obviously, I didn't grow. I didn't get taller. I'm, a, I'm like five foot four, but more bone density. It's like that doesn't that doesn't weigh nothing. Mm-hmm. Like you're adding literal like bone to your body. It's one of the reasons why it's so important for people as they age, because like otherwise they get more frail and more likely to break. There's there's so much going on in your body outside of fat gain, fat loss, outside of muscle gain, muscle loss, that to like look at what your body was when you were in high school and assume that's what you should weigh now is it's outrageous. Yeah. And that's so funny whenever I get a client just so disappointed like Oh, I'm up half a pound. I'm like, okay, just go pee. It's gone. Wow, magic. Exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's insane. Okay, so I would, if you're open to it, I would love for you to talk a little bit more on your own personal struggle with binge eating and like when was your breaking moment for that that you needed to change? So, I mean, I went through a lot with that, mainly starting with wrestling. Um when I was cutting from 112 pounds to 103 pounds, I mean, I had no idea what the fuck to do. Like, and, and when you're surrounded by people who are, or like a bunch of other kids and your team is depending on you to make weight for that weight class and everything, you're, you're basically, you, you'll do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have really any, there were no, there was no nutritionist there and there was no one teaching us what to do really what, the way I learned was the way every, every wrestler learns is from the older kids. And so like we learned how to sweat out a lot of weight and like you would basically starve yourself the several days leading up to a competition. And then, and I mean, I remember that would mean like mostly subsisting off of like carrots and like wheat thins. It's funny. A lot of, I really learned how to manipulate the scale through doing this because you start to eat foods not always necessarily based on uh energy density not how many calories but also literally how much the food weighs because like if you're going to step on the scale soon then it doesn't matter how many calories are in it within a few hours it matters how much that food weighs which is why i wouldn't drink a bottle of water but i would happily eat two donuts because like two donuts weighs next to nothing so like it would be fine to step on the scale in a few hours but like you know, I'd, my, I would have cotton mouth and I wouldn't be able to like barely swallow because I did, I was so dehydrated, but like most, most of what wrestling and really any weight controlled sport does when you're, when you're doing it very, very consistently and cutting weight over and over again, week after week after week for months on end is you starve yourself the days leading up to a weigh-in and then about 24 hours in advance, you start to dehydrate yourself. And then after you weigh in, you binge and you gain like literally I would go from 112 to 103 to 112 within like 48, 72 hours. Um, Sounds like pro show. Then, yeah. It, but it was like that every single week, sometimes two or three times a week for three, four, five months at a time. And uh, everyone else is doing it except the heavyweights who like didn't have to cut weight, but everyone else is doing it. And 
it's like you just I remember like being in the locker room with my buddy David just like binging after a weigh-in and we were just doing it together but like not thinking it was weird because we're that's what we do as we're a wrestler so that persisted all through high school and um I I knew it wasn't by the time I graduated high school I knew it wasn't like what I wanted to keep doing, but I also necessarily didn't think it was something that was bad. And this is something I I find a lot with people. Like a lot of times people don't realize that what they're doing is necessarily a thing. They don't, Oh, they don't realize that I have binge eating disorder. Like they don't realize that it's like, it's something that's going to be a massive problem. They almost just feel like this is what I'm going to live with. Like this is what I do. But it's also funny because when they talk about it out loud, they're like, yeah, you know, I always wait until my husband or whoever is asleep and then I'll go to the kitchen and I'll like, I'll eat uncontrollably. I'm like, so you don't do it when anyone else is around. Like you make sure you're alone. They're like, yeah. I'm like, does that sound normal to you? They're like, no. I'm like, okay, so let's work through this now. Like let's try and get better. So I remember uh, one year or actually my freshman year of college, I came back from uh, for, for winter vacation. And I was like, I had just uh, got as lean, the leanest I'd ever been. I just went through a cut uh, with Martin Birkin uh, from leangains.com. I hired him because I really wanted to like, learn his methodology. And, um, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I, I remember I went into my, my mom's bathroom and I looked myself in the mirror. I was like, I got to stop this. Like I have to fucking stop. And so I just, at that point I was like, I made a deal with myself. I was like, I'm going to eat breakfast every day. I was like, no matter what I have to eat breakfast. Cause what would happen is I started intermittent fasting and then you sort of get this, this high from the idea of you can eat as much as you want later at night and you can save all of your calories and then have a massive meal. And so I was like, I did that for a long time and it became this, this anxiety, this idea of breakfast gave me anxiety. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? Like, why am I just scared to have fucking breakfast? That's a problem. So I like made a deal with myself. I was like, no matter what, I have to have breakfast every day. And from that, like I very quickly started to develop a much better relationship with food and uh, more balance with it. And like through there, I just really started to uh, care less, like like stop trying to save all of my calories for later at night for a big binge and be able to feel comfortable having normal meals. I, um, I went through something very similar and it was after a competition, but mine was also just like life stress, which everybody's root of a disorder is a little different. So like, don't feel like you have to follow a book to a T. Um, but for me, like mine was, I felt kind of alone because I moved somewhere where I didn't have a lot of like friends or family. Um, and I was also post-competition. So I was at a place where I felt alone. Of course, the food was comforting for me, but I would find myself up super late. It's like, midnight 1am and I'm like eating and I'd always eat like quote unquote healthy foods I use that term loosely but still eating three pints of halo top is not normal behavior and (laughs) that habit adds up and so I would find myself just binging on quote unquote healthier foods but it still was adding up and but for my psyche it wasn't good either because it's like I felt alone but I'm using food to comfort myself what is the reason why? So I, yeah. I think really just digging in and like asking yourself those uncomfortable questions of, do I really want to live this way forever? Or is this behavior normal? And like making yourself uncomfortable can really help you again, gain some perspective and grow from that. 
Yeah, it's it's super important. It's a hard conversation to have. And, and I think one of the best things people can do is is literally have these conversations out loud, like speak them out loud. I think a lot of times what will happen is, and this is what happens with anxiety. Anytime we're in a situation where we're getting nervous about something, whether it's a final exam or like something at work or whatever it is, or an issue with a friend or, or a partner, we're in our head. And like, we have a lot of anxiety about it. It builds up in our chest and it gets really tight and like our minds going a mile a minute. And, but as soon as we call someone to talk about it, we start telling our friend about it. Like, Hey, I need to tell you something. And as soon as you start talking about it, the first thing you say is like, this is going to sound really silly, but, and the reason you say that is because as you're voicing it, you realize that it's ridiculous. Like it's fine that like, it's not as big of a deal. And I think that by speaking, literally having conversations with yourself out loud, I do this all the time, every day, mm-hmm. is it allows you to be more logical with what's going on and see it with a better, clearer perspective. Oh, for sure. And that's why so many people can benefit from having a coach. And like even so both like you're a coach, I'm a coach, and I have my own coaches too, because I still need someone to voice my concerns with and I have a lot of great friends out there too and I think a lot of people don't want to feel like a burden to someone but your friends should be there for you um and just like you should be there for them and I think just once you get those words out you realize everything that you're worried about is over something that hasn't even happened yet that's exactly right and and usually will not happen exactly right. usually yes and i i face this i've struggled with anxiety majority of my life i remember the first time i had anxiety was like 10 years old over i got a d on a, an exam and i thought i wouldn't <laughs> get into college i'm being so for real like that's how crazy it was but now i look back and i'm like wow that was really dramatic so <laughs> whenever i'm like getting really overwhelmed i think it's just really important to voice what you're doing or even getting in some sort of movement like getting a walk in or getting out of your house or that can really help you and not turning to food just to kind of numb yourself out i remember so so many the whatever the weird things are that jog our memory about something that we haven't thought about in years but i remember in eighth grade uh my teacher miss uh georgetta she she was watching me do it, take a test. And she all of a sudden calls me up to the front of the room and she takes my test and rips it up. And she was like, I saw you cheating. And I was like, I was not cheating. And I'll tell you, honestly, I was not cheating. And I would tell you because I cheated a lot. Like <laughs> on that specific test, I was not cheating. And I have no problem saying like when I, that I did cheat a lot, but on that test, I wasn't. And she was like, I'm giving you a zero. You didn't cheat. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was not cheating. And uh, we had a big meeting with my mom and her and like the what like the head of the eighth grade, whatever his name is, Mr. Lopez. And uh, I remember like being pissed. I was super mad. I was really upset. And I remember I'll never forget this. Mr. Lopez looks at me and he goes, listen, you're really upset right now. In six months, you'll forget the majority of this meeting. It will literally be a blip on your radar that like for the rest of your life, you probably will not remember so take a deep breath, relax, like what, and I honestly don't even remember if like I got to take the test again or not. I don't even remember what happened after that. I just remember him saying that. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I've always remembered in regard to anxiety and emotion being like, listen, whatever you're feeling right now, like eventually at one point in your life, you won't even remember this happening. Yeah. This is not a big deal. Like, even if it is a big deal, even if this is a monumental deal, yeah. 
at one point in your life, you're not going to give a fuck about it. For sure. I've, and it's super important to keep that perspective. I think it's so important. Yeah. Like wherever you're in is not everlasting. And I went through like a really big traumatic thing in my life this year where it led me. So I'm originally from Ohio and I moved to Florida because of this. But when it happened, I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like my life is completely changing and you know, your stomach is turning. Um, and I'm so transparent and my, my audience already knows this, but like, basically I was cheated on. Um, and I found out through Instagram, lovely social media. So you found out through Instagram, yeah, a video. <laughs> what? Yeah. This is- it, was, it was sent to you via DM. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus. DM from an account unknown. So my perspective in that point was I can either choose to change my life for the better. Cause I'm young. I'm 24. I'm like I can literally make my life however I want right now, or I can act like this thing is happening to me and that life is against me and that woe is me. And I decided to take all that energy and transfer it into a life that I've always wanted for myself, which I didn't always want to live in Ohio. I always wanted to live somewhere warmer and moved down to like Tampa, Florida. And I like took all those feelings and just try to transfer that energy into momentum, which I successfully did. But I just think it's so crazy how we can easily just think that this is going to be my forever. And I always had that perspective of the place I'm in right now, like regardless of how horrible you feel and the stomach turns and you know, that anxious feeling, I know it's not going to be forever. A hundred percent. I I could not agree more. And it's so interesting. Like I've never met anybody who's gone through serious hardship who has said, I wish I never went through that Mm -hmm. because everybody says, honestly, regardless of how bad it was, I'm glad I went through it because I wouldn't be who I am today without it. Mm -hmm. Every single person, no matter how awful it is, no matter how terrible it was, because on the other side of it, you're always grateful that you went through it because you have so much more perspective. You have so much more empathy. You have so much more strength. You have so much more courage. And that's part of what life is. Mm -hmm. And if like, if we just went through life, just avoiding all of these awful things, that really wouldn't be much of a life. We're supposed to evolve. We're supposed to change throughout our life. And if you're remaining the same, I mean, that's just a life of being complacent. And that's not something that I want. I agree a hundred percent. So, all right, Jordan, I want to wrap this podcast up, but I want you to provide us with um, maybe a quote or something that keeps you motivated or something that you think about. I know you've worked with some incredible people in your life, like Gary V. So provide us with a quote that keeps you motivated each and every day. He who hesitates is lost. Uh, this is like my favorite quote. My mom said this to me after one of my first wrestling matches in, in youth wrestling uh, when I was like, before I got to high school, uh, I just remember I, we had like a wrestling tournament and I did really well, got to the finals and I was wrestling this kid and I should have won. Like, I was better than this kid. Uh, he beat me fair and square, but basically like all I had to do is take him down one more time. I'd taken him down a bunch during the match and like, I knew how to take him down, but like, I was just, I was tired and I didn't do it. And I just hesitated. I hesitated. I hesitated. Then like the whistle blows and the match is over and I lost the match. And I just remember like, my mom is always super supportive. She doesn't give a fuck about like sports, but she just liked it. Cause I liked it. And she just was looking at me in the rear view mirror 
And like all she said, she was just like, as we were driving, she was like, he who hesitates is lost. I was like, fuck. (laughs) And that was it. It was just one of those things where it's like, whenever you're in a situation where it's like, you know what to do. The worst thing you can do is hesitate because not because like you might lose, but because what I found is the longer you hesitate, the longer you give your brain an opportunity to give you reasons not to do it. And the longer you're, you give yourself an opportunity to choose another, choose something else, to do something else, to wait, whatever. It's like when you know what the right thing is, do it immediately. All, just go. And you can adjust along the way. You can adjust. You can make other choices. You can change your course of action. But hesitation is not something anybody ever feels good about. No. And very rarely do you ever succeed through hesitation. For sure. And I think even like Tony Robbins says um... – you nothing will happen like without action so like you have to take that action and you'll never know what it's like if you just keep delaying it and you know side note going into the new year so many people are waiting for that time that magical 2020 to take action just think about what you want to accomplish and i encourage you all to take action starting tomorrow Let's do it. I love it. Let's do it. Well, thank you again, Jordan. I loved having you on. And I will leave all of Jordan's information down below so you guys can give him a follow. He has some amazing content, you guys. Thank you so much. Okay, guys. So if you are enjoying Beyond the Bikini Radio, I would really love if you could share my podcast up on your Instagram Facebook, whatever it is. Beyond the Bikini Radio has been up for almost a year, and you guys know that I share a variety of content. Not only do I talk about mental health, physical health, competing, but other areas too with women's health, interviewing guests, interviewing bikini competitors. If you're wanting me to continue doing Beyond the Bikini Radio, I would just love to see some love back and you sharing the podcast. It makes me so happy seeing you guys enjoy it, and it gives me a better idea of what type of content you guys are enjoying and what episodes you want me to cover in the future or what topics resonated with you. So again, thank you for being a Beyond the Bikini radio listener, and keep on listening.